Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Doug, a little birdie has told me that you have an important event coming up this weekend. <laughs> that is that is true. I uh, am just like four days away now from from a hundred miler. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Your will that be your fourth hundred miler? This will be my fourth my fourth race, my fourth hundred miler. Okay. If I can uh, if I can get around the the loop and back down to the finish, then. Uh, yeah, it'll be the hardest one I've done. I've run two, so I'm really excited. I'm a little nervous, but the weather's looking like perfect, and there's a really long kind of cutoff time. So I think I'm just gonna ease into it and and just kind of see what happens with the day. Wow, good. The hardest one you've ever done. That's saying something because you you don't pick the easy ones. No, I mean, you picked. You've done only East Coast ones compared, and I know West is kind of a different game. But I mean, you're you're choosing the hardest ones you can get out here. Yeah, this is has this one has twenty eight thousand feet of elevation gain. Um, which makes it, I believe, if not the hardest, one of the top like two hardest in in the East Coast. And what is the name of this one for anyone who doesn't know? Hellbender 100. Okay, good. And I'm gonna be like my old neighbors now and ask you how how long is this 100 miler? <laughs> it's actually, I think it's pretty close to 100 miler. Like all of the information, including like the the you know the aid station charts and all that stuff, are like right at like 100.2 miles or something. Okay, so. I think it's I think it's actually really close. So you know, some of the other ones will will go up to like 105 or 103 yeah, or something. Yeah, that is like that, that is just that's a strange thing about for me. I just always you would think they would make it exactly the distance. Yeah. Well, like I mean, you know, 5 miles is is a long time, <laughs> you know, it's a it's, yeah. a it's a big jump there. Uh yeah. but no, but I, I I'm really excited. I'm just uh, you know, it's like it, I guess it's been a little while since you've been uh building up to a big race but that there's all the training and everything is done and uh, you know i'm tapering at this point i'm starting to kind of organize my gear and make lists and all that stuff and mm-hmm. I, I got all this nervous energy i also <laughs> have all this energy from like not running and wanting to get out there and i'm also you know like i woke up at probably 4 30 this morning and started freaking out you know panicking so it's just kind of like i, I really want to get out there but i'm also quite nervous are you are you doing the michael arnstein bit where you start going to bed at like 6 p.m. so you can wake up <laughs> so wake up at five yeah no or, or the race starts at 5 a.m. so you know i don't know no i'm not doing that <laughs> okay. I'm, just, I'm trying to get as much sleep as i can and uh, and uh and are you you're in the best shape of your life right <laughs> well you know so i set that goal for january 1st that right. was my new year's resolution right i wanted to be the best shape of my life going into this race and i would not say that i'm in the best running shape of my life but i uh, I have been doing the strength workouts. We've been talking a lot about strength training over um, over the past few months, and I've been I've kept up that. I've been doing a pretty well balanced training regimen, uh, running regimen with some long stuff, some speedier stuff, and I actually feel pretty strong. Like I feel like generally fitness wise, I feel pretty strong. So wow. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would call it the best shape I've ever been, but I, I definitely feel like. I succeeded in getting a lot stronger than I was four months ago. Uh huh. And good. That's that's the point of a goal, right? Even if you don't get it, shoot for the moon, you hit the stars. That's right. Which is a terrible. Maybe it's shoot for the stars. You stars hit the moon. Hit the moon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's kind of depressing too, though. <laughs> shoot Why? for the stars, and you'll hit the moon. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Because it's, it's not even close. Not even close. 
All right, so uh, let's see. We have Jeff Sanders today, Doug, who's a friend of you and me. Man, we, we visited in Nashville one time. We took a road trip out there. Yep. Did some videos for the Marathon Roadmap Program. And uh, used to be my accountability partner. He and I met every single, or roughly every single week for an entire year or so on Skype on Monday morning and kind of got ourselves, uh, you know, amped up to to, to go, go do our thing. And uh, he has a new book out. <laughs> called the free time formula we had him on a few i don't know a couple maybe three four months ago we had him on just just because we hadn't in a while but we even mentioned then because i had read his uh i had read the manuscript of his book because he asked me to write a blurb for it which was very nice and uh i had read that so we kind of talked a little bit about it then but it was not nearly released yet so this will be the free time formula interview the one that actually goes with the book um we are going to we'll talk definitely about that because you and i did this episode uh I don't know, two months ago, about personal development, right? This whole mm-hmm. this whole world-shaking up idea that uh, maybe it's not so good to just constantly be improving ourselves. That, that right. there's, it's, you know, my, my mindset up until that point had been, it's all about, as long as you're growing, as long as you're sort of improving, putting off, um, you know, postponing joy. There's a lot of bumper stickers in Nashville, by the way, that say, don't <laughs> postpone joy. And I don't know if that's a, is that a, is that a thing people know? Is that like a I, saying? Like, I think uh, so. I think so. I don't know. You see it so much around here that I. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't I, think I, it's the, the don't worry. This is the first place I saw it, and I okay. thought, I thought, well, that's kind of silly, because <laughs> there's lots of good reasons to postpone joy. I can think of a lot of good reasons to do that, but, uh, but anyway, this this article that I read it, it was from the New Yorker. We talked about it a couple months ago, and it just it really made me question that and say, well, maybe maybe that is maybe there's something to that. Maybe this whole idea that growing is is always necessary and striving to improve is always better than just kind of enjoying the moment uh so it, it really did shake up a lot of the the foundation on which i've kind of based i don't know my what i view as successful and what is a meaningful life um and i don't you know i don't know that anything has permanently changed in me as a result of all that thinking i really did think about it a lot for a week but you and i had a long conversation about it and uh, we got a lot of interesting feedback from listeners. One of the more, I guess, maybe polarizing topics that we've had, not in a controversial way, but just one that people feel strongly about. So anyway, sure. I'll ask Jeff about that because he's all about personal development. That's kind of his thing. Uh, but I think he's, I think he's also well grounded. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what he has to say about that. And then we'll talk a bunch about uh, what he's, what he's doing with the free time formula and how you can create more free time in your life for whatever it is that you'd like to do. Which we know is important. We do know that is important, but what I'm curious to ask him is what, how do we, I don't even know what free time is anymore because I, I just, <laughs> that's I, true. That's a good point. Yeah. Like if, if you are, if you're sort of goal oriented, uh, then, you know, even my, even free time for me, if I have, if I have totally free time, nothing to do, well then I'm going to usually fill it with something to work on. Right. And not a, not a work that makes money, but like something I'm interested in that I'm working yeah. on. And I don't even know if that's is that free time we talk there's this work-life balance thing and, and it's sort of especially the way the world is going now the line between work and life is uh is disappearing somewhat right you can you can play video games on youtube now and make that your living and uh you know so like it's it's not as clear-cut as it used to be when you're working and when you're just living and when you're just enjoying your life so i'm very curious to talk to him about what 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 does free time even mean that's a good point you know if you're if you're if you're working on your cooking skills or going for a run, is that free time, or is that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. If you have the if you have the time, if you have the ability to um, to choose to do an activity, 
then maybe right. that's maybe that's exactly. your time. Right. But I'm, I'm curious to hear what he says. So that that's a good question. I look forward to hearing. Right. Because we, I mean, you get more free time. Just quit all your hobbies and then right. then <laughs> yeah. just do whatever you want. But that, but I don't think anybody would really want to do that. Mm-hmm. So okay, good. Well, that'll be fun. Um, before we get to Jeff, though, we have something very special to tell the nice people about Doug, and that is the Nomad Athlete Academy, which has kind of in the past, I would say, year, almost exactly a year, has grown into this thing that we didn't really expect that it would, and it has kind of become the really the central uh, pillar focus of the Nomad Athlete business, as far as the brand goes, the business side, how we make money, um, but also where we deliver the best content. And mm-hmm. in the past, it's always been like, you know, we've released all these different eBooks because I started this all, 10 years ago now, nine years ago, and didn't really know what to do. So put out, well, we started selling t-shirts, then we had eBooks, and then we had more eBooks and more, and then we had all these different programs. But over time, it's kind of all moved now under the Academy umbrella. Not all of it, but some of it, and more and more. And it just seems like that's kind of where we are putting stuff nowadays. So that's become the focus of the brand. I'm quite excited about how much value is in there now and what it has become. Um, recently, we've we've talked about the Vegan Strength Blueprint that we did with Derek Treesize and Marcella Torres. We had your Ultra Marathon Roadmap module that you put in there. That's a great example. A roadmap in the past used to be its own ebook, right. right? Marathon yeah. Roadmap, Half mm-hmm. Marathon Roadmap, Triathlon Roadmap. Uh, but this, this Ultra Marathon Roadmap is actually an academy module. And what else have we had? We put the Wake Up program, which was an ebook, another good example of a program going under the Academy umbrella. Uh, so lots and lots of stuff in there. We're trying to put out really good, high-quality, in-depth modules just about every month with video, text, audio, all kinds of really you know interactive stuff. But uh, we currently, just through this episode, will go live on Monday, which is a little bit strange for us, Monday, Marathon Monday, April 16th. Marathon Monday, that's right. That's right. Uh, and through... Tuesday, so you got to be fast on this one, but through the end of the day on Tuesday, April 17th, uh, we've got a really, really great annual offer on the Academy membership, which to me is the most value we've ever offered in an Academy offer. It's the very best deal we've offered because of so much content that's in there now. Uh, so it's a very, very good chance to lock in this, this what I think is quite a steal of a rate uh, for so much effort that goes into this content each month. Yeah. So anyway, if you're interested in checking that out, if you want to support the brand and kind of be a part of where we are headed get in on this ground floor offer, as they say, Doug. It is nomadathlete.com slash academy dash 2018. And I just want to really quickly mention, because I think that people listening to this will value the community aspect of the Academy uh, quite a bit, that the Academy is not just content. It's not just educational resources. That's a big part of it, of course, but there's also the Pulse community and the Pulse newsletter and live Q and A's with, with you and me, where you can ask us any question you want live and, uh, and we'll, try our best to answer it. Um, so, you know, there's a lot more to the Academy than, than just these educational resources. So yeah. um, by joining, you know, through this offer, of course, you get access to all of that. Yeah, all that for an entire year. And uh, and should you choose to stay on, you will you'll keep that, that low rate for all that good stuff. You're right. I always forget to mention the interpersonal workings of the Academy. I always like just the, <laughs> just the content delivery. But you're right. There's lots of good uh, relationship stuff that happens in this thing. So yeah. check it out. nomadathlete.com slash Academy dash 2018. And I hope you will join us by the end of the day on Tuesday, April 17th, which That's is my right. son's birthday, by the way, and the oh. day that I'm moving. Oh, big day. Yeah, really big day. You know what, Doug? In my new house, I was looking at it yesterday, <laughs> uh-huh. and I'm going to build a little indoor soccer room in this one. Uh, oh, cool. Because we got a rebounder net, this this really nice rebounder, this game called Futchi, F-U-T-C-H-I, 
and uh, it's like a, it's kind of like a squash game, basically. You know, squash dog that game. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, or or a racquetball ish sort of thing. But I think the rules are more similar to squash, and you you play this game off the net. But uh, it can be done outdoors. But there's just enough space to put down some nice turf and put up some plexiglass and have this great little all weather soccer room. So I'm quite cool. excited about that. Uh, I gotta ask is you know since it's your son's birthday, is he excited? Is this a good birthday move or is this a bad birthday move? Uh, I, I don't know. I think he's relatively indifferent. He had a, he had a little sleepover party this weekend for a couple of his friends. So okay. he's kind of done the birthday festivities. But my parents are both here because they're helping us move a little bit. And, well, and here for his birthday. So it'll be good. But it'll be a little busy. But he'll be in school. He won't even see the move happen. He'll just leave this house and show up in the new house at the end of the day. <laughs> All right. Sounds <laughs> so, great. Yes. Okay. So, anyway, has nothing to do with our academy office. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with the move, Matt, and good luck to everybody running the Boston Marathon today. And good luck to you, Doug, on your 100-miler. Thanks. I I'll report you, back. I uh, hope you finish. I'm going to celebrate for, right? at the beach for a few days, That's but, right. hey, be cool. but we will have a recap episode, I'm sure, Yeah, sometime soon. Definitely. Good. All right. Well, let's get to Jeff Sanders, and uh, enjoy the interview, everyone. All right. Hey everyone, Matt Fraser here with my friend and I guess former accountability partner Jeff Sanders, author of the new book The Free Time Formula. Uh, of course, people know Jeff from his podcast The 5 a.m. Miracle and his book that came out a couple years ago by the same name, The 5 a.m. Miracle. Uh, but now it's on to The Free Time Formula and Jeff, it is a pleasure to have you back on No Made Athlete Radio. Well, I'm excited to be back here, Matt. It's awesome to talk to you again. Yeah, you too. We we had a chance to catch up um about what was it three four months ago with when you and i and doug maybe it was more than that you and i and doug just got on for not 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 around the book so much but just you know wanted to catch up and we did a little episode then um but since then yeah now you just told me you've got a baby on the way which is awesome that's right i do it's gonna be a a big shift for me as a guy that teaches productivity it's gonna be a a, a new life lessons for me to learn so (laughs) i'm sure you i won't be the first to say the joke that it's a good thing you wrote the free time formula because uh, um, that will come in a lot, very handy, I'm sure, once yeah. you have a baby, if there's exactly. any left. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just as as I'm sure everyone has told you, it is it just changes priorities completely. It turns everything upside down, um, and it's it's really fun. Yeah, it should be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, the place I want to start is where. Doug and I did did an episode a couple months ago that was based on this this article that came out in the New Yorker, and kind of just bashing the whole personal development not not so much personal development but the self improvement self optimization movement because that's kind of changed. Like I feel like you and I, uh, the reason we connected many years ago, whatever it was, five seven years ago, um, was was because of this shared interest. In, well, first of all, we, we were both into plant-based diets and fitness, but we also discovered that we had this mutual interest in personal development. And that was kind of the old school personal development. Like, I feel like you're one of the few guys I know who who's still into the old stuff, right? Like uh, Norman Vincent Peale and uh, Jim Rohn and, you know, Darren Hardy's a kind of a new one. But but this older school thing, that not not the Dave Asprey, like, stand on a bed of nails and sleep on a bed of nails and drink the bulletproof coffee and do all this crazy stuff uh, and hook up to brainwave. So like that, that's all really neat. I think of that as the self-optimization movement where it's all about now data and different little hacks that are coming out. Not so much go inside your head and let's try to rewire things intelligently and make sure that your priorities are where they should be. Uh, and so I'm, 
I kind of agree. Like I, I've found this new school self-optimization stuff um, somewhat unpalatable, and I'm not really sure for what reason. But this article sort of struck at the heart of that. And I, as I was reading it, I kind of started questioning some of the beliefs that I had long held, like you know, as as just convictions that it is always good to improve yourself, that you should be striving for a better future rather than uh, just you know just enjoying pleasure today. Um, not, not that you should be, you know, working so hard that you don't have any fun today, but that, that there was always the future to think about. And, and this whole, this whole article kind of shook that up for me. I, I've, and you know, there's lots of people saying live in the now and enjoy the moment. Um, and this wasn't even that it was, it was more intelligent than that, but, uh, you know, it just really struck me and, and it made me think a lot. And, and I really for, for a month, I was just kind of had this weird sense of, uh, unease as I was thinking about is this whole foundation that I've built my life on, is it, is it all just for nothing? Have I, have I been pursuing the wrong things? So I'm just curious what, what your take is. I know you're, you're a, a mindful person, right? You are a productivity guy, but you do it in a way that, uh, and the free time formula is a really great example of this. Uh, you, you do it in a way that sort of feet on the ground and you don't lose sight of the things that are important just for the sake of being productive. So, I don't know if you've seen this article. By the way, your book is mentioned, The 5 a.m. Miracle is mentioned several times in a book they mentioned in the article, which was uh, Desperately Seeking Self-Improvement, which is kind of this funny thing where these two professors kind of spend a year doing all the new modern self-improvement stuff. But one of the, one of the things they do, they don't go into great detail, is 5 a.m. Miracle. One of the guys starts getting up at 5 a.m. and they mention your book several times. So were you aware of that at all, first of all? I wasn't until you emailed me about it, but now that I, I saw it like on Amazon, I saw the, the section about the book is mentioned. It's it's kind of funny to me because uh, I totally agree with you from the whole uh, the concept of you know old school personal growth. Uh, for me, is I think really based on like you know the Jim Rohns of the world, really teaching how to be like a better you, which is very different than what it is today with all the data. I feel like that's what it's become. It's just like figure out all the ways to track everything. And then based on all of that, you're constantly seeking ways to be better, like to the point of exhaustion. And I feel like that's what personal growth means today. And it's not a good way to describe it. That's not how I view it. It's not how I've viewed it for years. And there's a lot of ways to improve yourself without all of that noise. And I feel like that's what it's become. And so for me, like I really do lean on, you know, really good hardcore basic principles, like just wake up and do something that matters to you. It doesn't, you know, there's no need for a bed of nails to walk on to do so. Like you can be a better you without all of that. And so I think in many ways, like what, what I teach in the Five Miracle and my new book now, it's just like really foundational basic stuff that still works today that has worked for years. And that's the point. And it's not about trying to hack your life. It's just do things that work and that's it. And I feel like if that's all you do, that's enough and you're going to get a lot of success from there. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, what do you think of, when you talk about, you know, getting up and doing something that matters to you? It's it's hard to argue that, that that's a good practice, right? If, if one could get you get yourself to be in that practice of getting up and doing something first thing that matters to you. Um, there's very little that is bad that one could say about that, but in choosing the what it is that matters to you that's actually where a lot of this the discussion that Doug and I had and a lot of the thinking that went into this for me was like how do I know what what things are good for me to choose right so because all my life the things that have mattered to me uh you know were things like building something for the future or maybe it would be get up and run so that I can get into better shape and one day achieve this marathon goal or this 100 miler goal or whatever it is uh or the the thing that mattered might be 
I don't know, working working on a book, say, so that so that a year from now or two years from now, a book would eventually come out that I had worked on, um, and that that actually got to a lot of it. Like, I started to wonder: Is everything I do always for something that is in the future, rather than just getting up and doing something that is fun just for now, not for the sake of one day making money or one day making me achieve some certain goal? But I, I, I really wonder that. Like, am I not spending enough time doing things that matter now? Is everything I'm doing geared towards the future? And that leads to an obvious trap where you're always trying to make the future better. Um, and, and even when you get this thing that, that you know, you sense will represent better in the future, by that point, you're, you're now that you've grown, now that you've expanded and achieved this thing, that's no longer that attractive to you. And of course, there's a new goal that moves in to fill that void. And so you're in this perpetual, I need to get better feeling uh, rather than ever saying, this is good enough, or I can, I can just enjoy the things that are. So I, I have kind of arrived at what I think is, um, you know, at least settling enough for me to, to exist and, and be okay. But what do you think about that? Like, how do you, where do you draw the line between improving for the future, making things better, and enjoying what's there today? It's a tough balance because you have to have both. I think that the, that the idea of being perpetually moving forward, like it, it is exhausting and it's impossible to ever enjoy your life if you're always thinking about the future, which is why like goal setting, goal achievement in general like can backfire on you because you, you're you right that when you achieve the goal you wanted, at that point you get it, you've already moved on mentally to the next thing. And, and you, you miss the point of the goal itself, which is to kind of achieve something, enjoy it, revel in the moment. And there has to be, I think, for people like me and you, probably a stronger focus on actually existing today and enjoying the moments that are here right now. I feel like uh, my wife and I actually had a discussion about this recently. We were talking about kind of these goal setting plans we've seen where, you know, that you break down your life into multiple categories, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and you have all these different categories. And the point of it is to always be seeking improvement in every single one of them. Mm. But like you can't do that all the time. Like there has to be seasons of life where you'll choose one or two of those to focus on. And you'll make progress towards those areas, but then the other areas are either basically ignoring or just kind of going with the, the flow of, of how those things currently exist. And so to that degree, there's going to be a big chunk of your life that you're just living today, and then it, definitely a, a core piece that you are moving forward, but not everything is moving forward. Not everything can constantly be tracked and having apps and data for it. Like You have to just find a way to to focus on something that matters, but also be able to live outside of that as well. And I think it's a, it's a subjective kind of dance you have to play to figure out how it works for you, but th that you can't find yourself trapped in this, this perpetual, always moving forward idea because it is just, it's too much to handle. Yeah, I think that's a that's actually a really great answer. Um, a dance is the perfect term for it, even, even for an individual. Like once you figure it out what, what it is for you, uh, chances are it's not... I spend 80% of my time on goals and 20% of my time on enjoying the moment. But it's, it is a dance and it is a dynamic one that, that changes uh, in the way that you mentioned where, and I love this because I have talked a lot before about the power of focus. And, um, you know, when you look at those wheel of life type things and you've got eight different categories and talk about expanding the circle outward, um, that that's not even the most effective way to grow, right? The most effective way is to, is to pick one of those things or two of them or whatever and and really put a ton of energy into one or two things so that you don't get mediocre results in everything, uh, which is what, it, unfortunately, a lot of people just seem to be getting, right? So you don't really get that escape velocity where you're doing something special. Um, 
if instead you just focus on one or two, then you can apply everything to that. And that's what it seems most people aren't willing or able to do. And you can you can really make progress and stand out in that way. Uh, but I had never actually tied that back to the fact that when you're not focusing on certain areas, then maybe what you should be doing, maybe what you are doing is enjoying them how they are. And I think that's a really, really important place to tie that all together is like you can be you know, focused on massive action improvement for the future in a certain area like running or whatever it is you're trying to improve. Um, but I think bringing a conscious awareness to these other areas, not just letting the other areas just, you know, fall apart and be nothing, but instead actually, um, you know, noticing yourself, enjoying those and, and deliberately enjoying the time you spend in those other areas or the, even if it's not the time you spend, but deliberately enjoying those other areas of your life. Uh, that's a really important, interesting aspect to that conversation that I hadn't considered. So thank you for that. Um, good. All right. Well, I would say we have, we have, uh, Satisfactorily, satisfactorily uh, defended personal development, so that we can <laughs> we can have a conversation now about the free time formula. Um, Jeff, start us off. We talked a couple months ago about your ER visit, which I hadn't heard about until I read the manuscript for your book, and I was like, "Oh my god, what's going on with Jeff?" Um, so I know what happened, but can you can you just bring everyone up to speed because not everyone will have heard that episode. Sure. That's uh, was kind of my big smack in the face that happened to me about a year ago. I was in a season where I was kind of doing what we just talked about, which was trying to pursue everything all at once. I had a really hectic schedule. I had said yes to a, a bunch of really cool projects. and I was excited about them. And that was my problem was that I had overbooked everything and was trying to do way too much at once. And then in the middle of that season, of course, more things showed up that I didn't expect that I had to also take care of. And so my schedule went from overbooked to just like, unmanageable. And I got really stressed out. And so I was trying to, at the time, uh, launch this new big product and trying to push things forward. And I was, it was one specific day. I w- went to the gym. I had a really like hardcore workout. I was eating a really big salad that night for dinner as my, I was launching this product. And while eating the salad, I literally choked on the food, but not in my like throat. It was down in my esophagus, like deeper in my chest. And the food jammed in there. And it felt like a heart attack. I didn't know what was happening at the time. I just knew that I had massive chest pains. I couldn't breathe. I was freaking out, like to the highest degree. And so my wife ended up calling an ambulance. I went to the ER, and the doctor told me that I had what was called an esophageal spasm, which is basically when you get food stuck in your throat. Um, a lot. Of, this happens a lot to young guys who are not like you know not in poor health. It's not like I was you know suffering from something. I just was overly stressed out, and my esophagus, my esophagus actually like spasmed and tightened around the food. So I, I mean, I, I could have died theoretically. It wasn't that serious, but it was definitely a huge wake up call for me because I had brought this on. Like I had stressed myself out. I didn't chew my food well enough, or whatever the case was at the time, and I put myself in this really ridiculous position. And so ever since then, I've been trying to shift out of that. And it's been working really well. That's what I discuss in the book is like all the different strategies that I've had to balance what it means to pursue things that matter to you while not letting it get too far. You know, as a guy that teaches productivity, like I, I never thought I'd be in this position, but I definitely got myself, you know, overly ambitious in my pursuits uh, and it backfired. And that's, that's basically why I ended up in the, in the hospital. Wow. That, that is a <laughs> crazy story. Um, and, and one, I think, I think when people hear that you, the productivity guy had to go to the hospital for being too stressed, uh, for being too productive, perhaps, uh, I think, you know, the first reaction might be, might be to sort of take that opportunity to, to goof on the whole idea of, of productivity. 
Um, but I think I think it's it's really cool that you that you were taking that as as a lesson, and then and then you that it was your wake up call, and it made you it generated this whole free time formula set of ideas that you've created. Um, so to shift to that, I'm curious what what you mean by free time, because I as I've talked to Doug about in the intro to this episode, uh, I don't know what free time is anymore. Like as, as we talk about work life balance and the blurring of the lines between work and life, and more and more people, I guess there are different schools of thought, but it seems that it's more acceptable than ever and often encouraged to blur those lines and and make it so that you don't have work. You just have your life that happens to be income generating in some way. Um, and that, that a lot of people view that as an ideal, right? Because then you can be working all the time and not ever having to go, you know, go to the boring office, you know, you can live your life and somehow be generating income and kind of, or just, or just having a normal job, but you know, you've got a a remote work arrangement or you can work in the car so that you can be also listening to podcasts or talking on the phone or who knows, but there's this, there's this blurring now. And beyond that, I've even wondered like if I am really dedicated to some sort of hobby that is, that is, I'm going about in a, you know, you know, workmanlike manner, um, which could be training, could be some sort of, you know, could be playing chess, could be playing guitar, whatever. Um, I, I always wondered, is that free time? A- am I considering that free time, or is that is that sort of, because if if that was gone, if I if I created free time by eliminating all those sort of hobbies, then I would just fill it right back up again with with more hobbies that that I'm not sure are free time. So I'm really curious, what's your definition of free time when you go about um, helping people create more of it? Great question. And I have basically two answers to it. The first one is the one that I say right at the top of the book, which is that all of our time is free time. And from that perspective, like the way that I'm looking at it is that you have your whole life to live and you can make the choice of how to spend every single moment. And so because of that, like technically free time doesn't actually exist because you can do whatever you want with the time you have. Now, obviously, there's a lot of choices and, and you know consequences that come with those choices, uh, but it's really figuring out, like, if, if I have control of my time, all of it, what am I going to do with it? And so that's kind of the foundational principle that I run with in the book is that based on this idea that you really can control your life and you can choose how to live it, what will you do with it? How will you fill that time? Which speaks directly to what you just you brought up, this idea of the blurring of the lines, because in the last probably three to four years now, I've been a full-time entrepreneur who can work from anywhere, and I have, in the last probably year and a half or two years, really started to like reject that idea. Like I don't like the blurring as much as I used to. Like It was very appealing at first, and now I feel like it, it probably led to what happened to me last year at the hospital, is that it, because the lines are blurred, I work way too much. And there is definitely so many benefits that come from having boundaries, very clear set of here are the hours that I work, here are the hours that I'm at home, here are the hours that I spend on these certain activities, you know, here are the hours I spend working out every day. And having clear boundaries allows you to establish exactly how your life is structured. And when you can like be present in that activity you're doing, then it doesn't really matter if it's quote unquote free time or not. It's just a question of what do you want to devote yourself to in that moment? And based upon that, like I started a woodworking hobby last fall and tried to, you know, explore new possibilities with that, like new hobbies, just to see, like, how can I structure my time in ways that allows me to be more creative or allows me to try new things? And I feel like that approach towards free time of I I, I can live my whole life and do what I want. Well, what do I want to do with that time and how can I create 
clear boundaries around the things I'm doing so I can be fully present in the things I do. And that's the challenge that we all face every day. And the book kind of provides a variety of ways to approach that. Yeah, I love that. Uh, that that for me was extremely true in the early days of my business because unlike you, um, my situation was that I had my first child right as I was starting my business. Uh, you know, so I, I became an entrepreneur at the same time as I became a parent and uh, did kind of exactly what you just described. I tried to do both at the same time. And I thought, I thought, well, this is cool that now that I can start doing this sort of work and I don't have to necessarily be at an office, um, I can, I can be watching my son in the living room while I'm typing emails and maybe even writing a blog post on the laptop right there. Uh, and maybe hanging out with my wife in the same room watching TV as well. And I could be a family man, father, and I could be, you know, cranking away on this business. And it turned out I was really bad at both of them when I tried to do that. Uh, and that's this is kind of the beginning of the. This was actually not that not that far removed from the the early Tim Ferriss days in the four hour work week. When I know the title of that book is off putting to some people that anyone would would you know be so so vain as to think they could only work four hours. But he does have a lot of really sound ideas in there. And uh, perhaps the most prominent are that that multitasking probably not a good thing. And I think that's 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 something that is thankfully becoming more of a common knowledge um, because we we need it to be <laughs> now that now that everyone can multitask all the time and and does so uh, with phones and everything else. Uh, I think it's really good to bring awareness to that idea that uh, trying to do multiple things at the same time is is typically not a good idea. You're going to be worse at both or all of them. Uh, so that's really important. I love the idea of of defining lines and that's exactly what i had to do what do you, i wasn't planning to ask him this jeff but because our, our audience isn't typically entrepreneurs that i know of but i am just something you said made me wonder about this you talked about being an entrepreneur and being able to theoretically work around the clock from anywhere there you don't have to stop working and that's that's either a problem or um you know a virtue of a lot of entrepreneurs is that they're they don't ever stop working they don't and even when it seems like they're not working they're still thinking about their business and that's how it was in the early days for me i'm sure it was for you too where you just can't stop thinking about it because you're just so excited about making this thing work and it is it is very close to literally all you think about um i know you're pushing for more of uh i don't know if balance is the word but but definitely some some breaks for work and, and in fact you take sabbaticals which i want to talk to you about as well uh but what do you think about the early days, that early day sprint of an entrepreneur, which for some people, they think it's going to be a month long sprint and it turns out being a three year long sprint. And that can, of course, burn somebody out. But uh, would you argue for such, uh, you know, black and white lines, not blurring those lines uh, and building in time that even if it's a struggle where you shouldn't think about work in the early days of, say, building a business? Well, it's a great question. I think that the answer that I'm thinking of is one that reminds me of when I was in college and we'd have finals week and the middle of finals week, it was basically like, you know, the culmination of all the semester's work all at one time, taking all these big tests and presentations, and all these massive things at once. And so for finals week, I would be exhausted. I probably wouldn't sleep very much. And by the end of the week, like I was done. And I feel as though like a sprint in that sense, like if you're going to build a business, that's almost how it might work is a very short term, finite sprint, but it cannot last longer than about a week, maybe at the very most a couple of weeks, because that is not a sustainable way to build anything. And based on the idea of of setting clear boundaries and being able to say that I want to get this thing off the ground, if you just approach it from I'm going to put my whole life into this one thing 
you're right that it's going to turn from one month into three years into 30 years and like you're never going to let it go. Like there has to be boundaries from the beginning. I feel like that's the only way to approach uh, any like respect responsible way to do anything is that yes, you can like, have one clear focus, but it can't be your whole life because if you don't have the, the boundaries set in to be able to get the sleep you need to be able to work out, to be able to take care of yourself, it's going to backfire. Like it's just going to. And so as much as I like love being ambitious and pursuing big things, even I know that I have to rein myself in. And so to that degree, like, yes, you can sprint in the beginning of something as long as you make sure that you know when you can stop. And that's clearly up front and, and labeled. And then with that, you can do so much. You really can make massive progress quickly and still be able to keep your sanity in the process. And I feel like that's that's really the goal because I'm not building a business so I can be a workaholic. Like I'm building a business so I can do things I love and achieve you know other life goals at the same time. And if you only pursue one thing, it's probably going to backfire and you're probably going to be exhausted and angry at yourself for doing so unless there is you know a reason to sprint that is finite, in which case you can go, you know, go all in. But I feel like without the boundaries, it, it, it will backfire. Yeah, it's funny how closely that parallels uh, the advice that I give and that, that Doug and I talk about a lot for people who are trying to make a, make a change of any kind, not building a business, but making a health change or anything else. And uh, there's always this debate between, you know, massive action, all in, all at once, go for it. And really small steps, the Darren Hardy sort of approach, the just tiny little bit compound effect over time adds up to something because you managed to keep it going because precisely because the steps were so small that you're able to keep it going for, you know, years and years perhaps of whatever this habit is. But we always talk about this middle ground, which is kind of the the 30 day challenge where it's exactly what you're describing. It's a sprint. Uh, and, and when I first went vegan, like this was kind of an important moment for me was taking the 30 day vegan challenge that I just set up for myself. And it ended up not being what uh, led me to go vegan because after I was done it, uh, I went back to, to eating pizza and normal cheese and all that. But I felt that because I spent the time, did that 30 day challenge, then that's what allowed me six months or a year later to actually be ready to be vegan. Uh, even though it helped me discover at the time that I wasn't yet ready to be it. But what it was so important and what I love about challenges like that is that if there's an actual a finish line on it, right? If it is a 30 day mark and you know that when you get to that 30 day mark, that's when you can decide that you're going to keep doing this or stop doing this or whatever. Um, and so you mentioned how important it is to have that, you know, so that it's sustainable um, in a work situation. You can only work that hard for that long and eventually you've got to stop. But the flip side of that is that having that deadline in place, because you know you only need to reach that deadline, it actually helps you to sustain the sprint during that period because you might get tired, you might want to stop, but then you say, well, I've only got to do this for, you know, I've got to keep this up for five more days and then I hit my, then I'm hitting my, my goal, my finish line. And then, then I win, and then I can reevaluate from there what I'm doing after that. Um, and that's that's how it works with the vegan thing. Like I would have lasted, you know, three days the first time I tried it rather than thirty, but I had that deadline, and that kept me saying, "Hey, this isn't for my whole life. This is just for this challenge period." And once that's done, then I can reevaluate. So I love that. I uh, love that there's a parallel there to that. Um, the extreme case of of taking a break and taking it easy, and you know, carving out time for yourself that isn't work time. Uh, is this idea of a sabbatical, which back when you and I were doing the accountability partner thing, you first turned me on. I'd never really heard of anybody other than uh, college professors taking sabbaticals. And you got it. I don't know. Was it from maybe Michael Hyatt, who who you were listening to at the time, who did it, and, and then that inspired you to do it? And uh, 
you know, it, it's where you basically clear your schedule and then you you don't even think about work because you've done all the stuff up front. And yeah, I know you did exactly this, where you did all your blog posts and all your content and everything. You got it done ahead of time so that you could take some time off. Can you talk about that? Because I have not yet uh, made that work. I'm, I'm great at the, you know, try to only work this many hours a day. And then once that's done, totally shift gears and do family time and fun time and everything but work. Um, and I take vacations, of course, too. But uh, haven't ever really done this idea, this extended sort of time away from work, uh, which can in fact be so good for work. Can you talk about that and the ideas behind it and how, how do you go about implementing that? Sure. I think the sabbaticals have become one of the most important parts of my business, which seems kind of ironic because you're not working during that time. <laughs> um, it's, but years ago, yeah, Michael Hyatt was the inspiration to do my very first ones. Um, I did a couple of sabbaticals back then. I, I got away from that habit for a few years and then I came back to it about a year ago. And uh, that's actually a, a guy that I met at a conference who does uh, sabbaticals in a different way where he takes every seventh week off of his business. So he does basically a six week sprint uh, and then oh, and one week off. And that's around the clock every uh, around the year. Like that's what he does. So every seventh week he has a week off. Now, as an entrepreneur, he has that choice. And so if you're not an entrepreneur, there's other ways to make that work. But the, the principle behind it is that you have predefined time off where you're not going to be doing the thing you usually do. And then when those boundaries are in place, it forces you to be very specific about here are the priorities I have set. I have to get them done by this deadline. And then once those things are done and the sabbatical begins, then I am truly off the clock and I off, off the grid if you can. And you just take some really real serious time away so that when you come back to your work, you're more refreshed, more energized, well rested, you know, whatever the case is, you go do something that's just not work. And then I, I find that when I come back, I have significantly more creativity and I feel so much more like primed to do my work again. And a lot of times I have a lot of new ideas I can then implement. And so that for me is what a sabbatical can be is just a time away, whether that's a single day or a weekend or a, you know, a couple of weeks. For some entrepreneurs, it could be a month or six months. Um, I'm not quite that hardcore yet, uh, but I do like the idea of, of being very specific about you know pre-planning the time away, knowing that when that time shows up, I, I'm not going to be doing anything work-related, and, and that is it's a difficult thing to do to walk away. But when you do, and you finally let yourself do that that's when you get to actually live in the moment and experience life as it comes to you, as opposed to always pre-planning everything to the you know, nth degree like I tend to do. So for me personally, it's a, it's a must, like a must do is to walk away and pre-plan those times off uh, so I can come back again with new creativity and new energy. Yeah, I think that is so, so important. Uh, and not just not just because you will come back and that it may be better for your work, right? Because it's easy to, to make that the, the rationalization that, hey, this might actually be better for work this time off. Um, but I would also worry that that's, that for some people, that's missing the point. Uh, and, the, and the point is to be not working, right? The point isn't just so you can work better. The point is so you actually have a, a period where you are deliberately not working and you're deliberately doing life that isn't work, uh, which sounds kind of kind of childish perhaps as, a, as an obvious thing. But uh, man, I I feel like they're we're we're moving into this strange sort of work culture where it is all about working, 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 and and uh, the point for most people these is, is not is not work less. It's kind of how can I how can I you know manage to be more productive and squeeze in more work during my free time hours and technology enables us to do that nowadays. Uh, so I really really think like the point of life. I guess your work could be your mission and. Maybe your point of life is to work as well as you can, but I think there are a lot of people who who would acknowledge that their work that they're currently in is not their mission, 
but for some reason, they are trying to pretty much make that work the point of their life. Uh, so I think it is so, so important to have time. Like you said, I mean, off the grid, I think is if, if you can do that, uh, just because it's so hard to be on the grid and not be working these days. So I think it is uh, an extremely powerful idea and uh, one that I, every time I think about it, I'm, I'm inspired by trying to doctor up some way to, you know, take a month off uh, in, in the name of, of, you know, enjoying actual life, not just work. Um, cool. So I want to talk more about, um, uh, about busyness and free time specifically. I know, first of all, I'd like to know why you think everyone's so busy these days. What's, what's, what's behind this, the busyness trend and why is it, why do people think it's cool to be busy? Um, and then, and then one solution to it, which I know you're a fan of is the underbooking of your calendar and, and even the minimalist idea. So can you talk a little bit about why we're so busy and what's the antidote? It's a great question because uh, busyness is everywhere. I think it's just become a trend. I think the internet in general enabled the, the ability for us to do more when we're not at the office. And I feel like that started, you know, years ago, and we've just become a society of people who just feel this desire, uh, really an addiction, to stay connected. I think that's what it's become: is that busyness stemmed from the addictive behaviors that we get from checking technology because we get the dopamine hit of always seeing that connection, the Facebook likes or whatever the case is. Like we get such a high from that, like a very literal high that we can't stop. I feel like that's exactly what busyness is. And of course we get rewarded for being busier. We get either more likes or we get job promotions or a better business or whatever. And so busyness has a benefit, like the more activity that you're involved in, a lot of times the more rewarded you are. And that's the problem. It's why it it, it continues to be a pervasive thing. And so to walk away from that is is obviously a huge challenge. But that's that's what my my book is all about. It's like we have to acknowledge that this is real, that we are addicted to to caffeine or addicted to social media or addicted to work and activity in general. And the only way to 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 really fix that, you're the idea of underbooking your calendar that's exactly what it has to be is an intentional acknowledgement that you probably are too busy. You're doing too much. And so you have to take the opposite approach, at least at first, in kind of an extreme way to say, how can I really rein this in? And how can I make sure that I'm intentionally only scheduling the very few things that have to happen? And then once those things are done, I'm going to stop and I'm not going to keep going. I'm not just going to you know, habitually go online or habitually do random stuff. I'm only going to do a few select things that actually matter. And that's a really uh, important factor because I know that when I think back at some of my best days I've had recently, my best days generally are very simple. I'll usually go for a workout and then I'll do one creative project and then the day is over. And if all that happened in that day are those two things, I feel really good. Like I feel successful. I feel like the day mattered and it was valuable and I don't feel overwhelmed by it or beaten down by it. And so I'm constantly trying to figure out how do I make sure my schedule can resemble things like that, the simplicity that comes from just doing a few things and making sure that I don't fall into the trap of just doing nonsense all the time, which is what that activity becomes. Yeah, another one that I think is so, so important. For me, that uh, has been most visible with with kids, which is interesting. I guess you, you'll be able to apply this one day uh, yourself. But we, I, I kind of have made it a policy not to overdo things with kids because there's just so many opportunities for them to do, you know, 10 different sports at once and it comes up and there's this fear of missing out thing where they want to do baseball and soccer, not they, but you know, we want them to do baseball and soccer and martial arts and, you know, chess club. And, and it's just, you can just fill the time with, 
without them ever doing what I think is such, such valuable, not work, but, but spending such valuable time of just being a kid, being bored, right? And like, it's just <laughs> no one is that anymore. We're, our schedules are so filled that there's no time to be bored anymore. Um, so that's, that's where that has shown in my, in my life. But I think it's, I think that is perhaps a specific example of something I know you're a fan of, which is sort of the minimalism idea. Um, and it's, it's just taking minimalism and applying it to your calendar and saying, if, if this isn't necessary, uh, in my life or in my day, then I'm not going to do it or have it. Right? I'm not going to put that in there just because that's what everyone else is doing. So uh, I love those ideas. We talk a lot about minimalism here, and uh, although I don't think you nor I, Jeff, is, a, is an extreme minimalist, uh, those principles are definitely really, really important. Um, well, I can I can see someone at this point raising the objection of something you kind of addressed earlier that that not, if you're not an entrepreneur, and especially if you're not an entrepreneur who's kind of you know over the initial hump of working way more than anybody else. Uh, because you've got to, you know, get that escape velocity and make it make it go before you can reap any kind of reward from it. Um, but you mentioned like your your most productive day being one where you just go for a workout and then spend time on one creative project. What do you say then to the person who who works the the eight or ten hour day five days a week and they say, you know, this sounds great. You guys are talking about this, but I've got to be here from these hours and. I can't do just one thing or I'll be, I'll be fired. <laughs> so like what, what's that person to do? Well, the, the funny thing for me is that the same principles still apply because, you know, I used to have day jobs as well. And when I had my last day job, I had many conversations with my bosses and I had many bosses about exactly what I was responsible for. Um, and there's a story that I think that just always stands out in my mind is an interview with John Maxwell from years ago where he was talking about uh, a job he was going to take as a pastor of a huge church. And they were asking him to do a ton of things um, in this new role he would have to accept. And he basically had this long conversation with them and saying, you know, there are only a few things that I am responsible for and I will do those things well and everything else I'm going to delegate. I'm going to find someone else to do it or no one's going to do it at all. And I feel like that approach is the one you take to either your business or your job where you figure out what are the core things that I'm responsible for and how can I do those things to the best of my ability. And then everything else, you figure out a way to not do it at all or to delegate it. And it's a, a radical approach to a lot of people in typical employment because they feel like all 40 hours of the week have to be filled, but they don't. And this is the, the weird part about it is that you don't actually have to be busy on the clock the whole time. All that actually matters is the things that need to get done, get done. And this is why it takes multiple conversations with your bosses to figure this out. But I got that to work at my last job where I was able to establish what I needed to do. I got those things done. And then I was able to maintain a sense of balance and, and, and avoiding overwhelm in those hours I was on the clock. And I feel like that approach is, is a difficult one to have, but it's one that has to happen. Or you should probably change jobs, uh, which can also be a solution to this problem. My wife recently changed jobs, and her new one is so much more uh, stress-free. She just has so much more time on her hands because she got a good fit. And I feel like that approach, though sometimes can be radical, it might be what you need in order to establish the boundaries that are going to allow you uh, to maintain your sanity and, and your health and making sure that you have time in the day for what matters to you. Um, not every job is structured like this, but the, the overall approach needs to be how can I establish what needs to get done and what I'm responsible for, and then how can I let go of everything else? Yeah, uh, th it strikes me as as kind of a delicate uh, balance that that or, or a line one needs to walk in trying to make that happen because I think you're right. Like if, if you can 
although baked into the culture of a lot of these this you know nine to five corporate work is is that busyness is good right is that is it when you're at work on company time you should be working the entire time and that's just what you should be doing and if you're doing that then you're doing your job and and maybe you should be given a raise or whatever um that's baked into the culture. But if someone could instead do what you just described at the beginning of that answer, which is only do the stuff that's important and that can't be delegated to someone perhaps who the company's paying less than you, uh, or, you know, a better process made so that that job doesn't need to get done at all. Um, then, then that person becomes the most valuable person at the company, right? If they can do that instead of being busy at their desk all day. Uh, the question is how do you get from point A to point B without getting fired in the middle? Because you you might not be able to just shift to doing that and, and telling your boss suddenly, well, I stopped doing that because that that's an unnecessary task, even though it's in the manual. Um, you know, that's not going to work so well. And in fact, I know a guy, I met him, I think at the, I forget who it was, but I met him at the World Domination Summit, the first one that uh, Chris Kilbo put on in Portland, it must have been 2011 maybe. And uh, he had taken the four-hour work week, there was some sort of template email or letter in there that you would write to your boss and you and it was basically sort of arranging uh, I think it was arranging a remote work arrangement. It would basically say, if I can get this much done, these things that you want me to do, but I can do it from home, um, you know, I think it's going to be better for everybody, and including the company. And apparently he got fired on the spot for taking this letter in to his boss. And uh, that struck me as very funny. And, and you know, the, you want to take a dig at Tim Ferriss and say, look, Tim, that didn't work. Uh, but I think what you said is true at the end there, that like, then that probably is not ultimately going to be the job that's the fit for him anyway. And it's probably good that he, that he got canned so he can move. And, and by the time I met him, he was now doing his own thing as full time. So that's a great example of that. Um, but I think that's, that's funny and, uh, totally true. I think, but, but I think acknowledging like, that's a, like you said, that's a hard thing to do. Uh, but if you want to be happy for the long term term at that company, then it's what you have to do. You got to you got to find a way to do that. And if it all works out, you're going to end up being valued much more highly. So uh, great advice there. Let's see, Jeff, before we end. Um, oh, I want to hear I, I mentioned I saw in the book that you talk about procrastinating intelligently. And I think that's a really, really important thing. Um uh, in our in Doug's and I discuss Doug's and my discussion about this whole is personal development all a waste. Uh, we talked about procrastination and and we we started wondering like first of all in in trying to decide what was a valuable activity and what wasn't. We said well if you're procrastinating on something then that can't possibly be a good behavior. Pro- procrastinating at at the very least we can establish that that's a bad idea. But then I said well I've I've read this other source who knows what it was but that they had suggested that procrastination was actually maybe your your subconscious not being ready for something and if there's appears to be no reason why you're not doing something uh maybe it's that doing that would be doing something that that uh you know your body is truly judging as that's a bad idea and on a gut level you're not ready to do it so maybe procrastination serves some actual physiological purpose uh i don't know if that's exactly what you mean by procrastinate intelligently but um what do you mean by that because i am a i am a lifetime lifelong procrastinator and i'd love any reason to <laughs> defend it well, typically I have not been. I've been the the kind of guy that works ahead of time whenever I can, um, especially over the last few years as productivity has become something that not only I do personally, but I teach it. I've also I've been kind of like leaning towards the idea of doing things as, as soon as I can. But in the last probably at least the last year, I have definitely adopted the, the philosophy of doing things at the right time. And that's not the same thing as doing something ahead of time. And so that's what I discussed in the book is the idea of intelligently deciding when the best time is to do an activity. Uh, as an example of that, I'm going to give uh, two different talks at the end of this week. 
I have not done a single thing about them yet at all. I have not written them. I have no ideas for them. I've done nothing because I, I know that when I sit down to do a, 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 write a speech or prepare a talk, basically I can sit down, write the talk, rehearse it and be ready for it in about a day. And that's my plan this week. I'm going to actually sit down and do the work probably tomorrow and all of it will get done in a single day and then I move on. And the reason I'm doing that is because I know that the deadline itself is motivating and I know that I don't want to spend more time than I need to on a task. And the problem is that when you work ahead, we tend to, because there's no deadline that's near, we tend to waste more time. We spend a lot more time on something we would need to and it, it doesn't actually serve the greater good of, of that goal being accomplished. And so procrastinating can actually serve to have you spend the least amount of time on something you possibly can and still get the result you want, which is a lot more efficient. And so that's the goal is to figure out when is the right time to do something? How can I like, schedule that into my calendar when it's going to be the best time to do it? And then when that time shows up, you do the thing, you get it done, you move on. And when that happens, you free up a lot more time. You don't have that sense of constant pressure because you have you know that you have intentionally scheduled something at the time it needs to happen. And for that reason, like I, I don't feel as stressed about things waiting to the last minute because I know that it's not the last minute. I gave myself a little buffer, but just enough to make sure that I'm motivated to do the work when it matters. So it's definitely a balance to achieve. It's not something that works for every task. But when you can apply that, uh, it, it tends to work really well. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great tip. And and I would add that, like, so the, the idea is this Parkinson's law idea, right? That, that I think that's what it is, where, where work expands to fill the space allotted to it. So if you give yourself a week to prepare for a talk, and that's what's kind of on your calendar that week, among other things, uh, it can drag on and you can spend 20 hours preparing for it when, in fact, had you given yourself only half a day or a day, you would have gotten it done in that amount of time, and the quality is probably going to be comparable. Um, but I guess, you know, you could you could do what you're describing, Jeff. If, if someone was uncomfortable with not doing something right away, um, you could you could confine, you know, talk preparation time into the same five-hour block or whatever you're giving it. Uh, but you could do that without waiting until the day before the talk, right? You could actually do get that done right away. But the key, I think, would be don't let it expand and fill your entire week just because there's more time uh, available until the talk actually happens. So I think that's all great. Uh, I love those ideas. I totally agree with all that. Uh, I wonder for the person who is so used to just doing things at the beginning, uh, how do they, how do they get past, how do they not get to the point where, I mean, the reason the one of the criticisms of procrastination is that why not just, why not just do it now rather than have it be on your mind, weighing on you, uh, and then doing it eventually the day before it's due, uh, when all this time now you, you've kind of wasted because you spent, you, you had that time that you were stressing and it was this thing, this weight on your shoulders that was, that was, you know, you knew was on the horizon this whole time when instead you could have just cleared it off your schedule from the beginning. How does somebody who's used to not procrastinating, um, become okay with waiting and, and becoming okay and not have this thing become this awful weight that they just can't possibly forget about? Well, I think that the, the weight situation or feeling the pressure of it, I tend to feel that weight when it's something that I'm not confident in. So let's give an example here of me giving a talk. Like I'm going to give a talk on a topic that I'm familiar with, I feel comfortable about. I don't have any fear that I can't discuss this topic that I'm going to talk about. So because of that, and I've experienced in public speaking, I've experienced in podcasting, like this leans on my strengths. So the idea that I would feel pressure about it is actually a lot less because I'm not that concerned. Not that I'm going to wing the speech, but theoretically I could. 
versus let's say I'm going to work on something that I'm not confident in, that I have no skills in, that I'm terrible at. That's going to drive me crazy, and the pressure there is going to be very intense. So on things like that, I'll do them ahead of time. I'll do them as soon as I possibly can to just address that kind of you know monster in the room. Like I want to make sure that I don't have that sense of stress about whatever it is I'm stressing about. So if there is something that really is bugging you, getting it done is the better choice. But if there are things that you naturally are good at or you've done a million times and can do them again easily, those things can wait and they should so your creativity and your brain power can go to what matters most today, which a lot of times what matters most today is whatever's bugging you the most today. So that's, you know, if you have the weight on your shoulders, take care of it and then you will have less stress about it. And I feel like that approach of figuring out what things can wait and which ones can't, that's the balance you have to strike with your own work and taking into account your own experience and your own strengths. Yeah, I love that distinction. That, I had not thought of that, about that, but that, that makes total sense to me. Um, Jeff, last thing before we go here, I want to I want to sort of tie a bunch of things back together. So this show is, is about health and fitness, of course, um, and diet, obviously. Um, and that's as I said, that's how you and I got to got to know each other. It was through the shared interest in plant based diets and fitness and ultra running. Um, the subtitle of the free time formula is finding happiness, focus, and productivity, no matter how busy you are. And I love that part because there are so many people who say. Uh, I'm just too busy to have this free time. They say the same thing about health and fitness, right? They say, I'm just too busy to do that sort of thing. Uh, when in fact, as anyone who does it knows, it doesn't feel like that stuff really is a net loss of time. Because if you're eating healthily, and even if you're spending 45 minutes a day running, uh, when I was doing that, I felt like that was some of my most productive time I could have. Because not only could I use it, and I know I've talked about multitasking not being a great thing, but that's one spot where you know I didn't want to focus on running with my mind while I was running because if I did that I'd drive myself crazy. Uh, so I would listen to podcasts and personal development stuff and whatever else during that time, and it was such a valuable use of time. But I would think that I I would just have this sense that that forty five minutes spent running uh, made me so much more productive in the three hours after it, and maybe even the whole day. And just I just felt more energetic, not sluggish. Uh, and I felt like that that forty five minutes it was a no brainer that that came back to me. Uh, several fold in terms of productivity and, and even just the level of energy I felt. Obviously, the same is true with diet. If you can spend you know, 20, 30 minutes extra time preparing your meals and taking the, the time and planning to eat healthy food compared to just grabbing what's convenient in the moment, uh, it's going to pay dividends in terms of energy and productivity. So that, that of course, is, is my my you know reason for why you should you should dedicate time to health and fitness uh, but it ties in very nicely with the no matter how busy you are question because i think a lot of these things um seem like it's too much right it seems like maybe it's too much to do the free time formula and as i mentioned in the blurb that i wrote for it uh it's not it's not a quick and simple you know here's the hacks you need to just suddenly experience free time it's it's work right you gotta you gotta decide what your what's your priority and you gotta decide what you're willing to give up and it's not a hack. It's it's actual work, and it's it's good, fun, fulfilling, worthwhile work. Um, but let's just talk about that in the context of health and fitness. Uh, what role does that that play for you in productivity? Is it the same as what I just described, or is it something else? And uh, generally, how does it tie back to your free time formula? Well, I think you nailed it with that, that description right there. That that's exactly what I discuss in the book, and that's my own philosophy as well. That the more time that I spend, you know, eating a healthy diet and exercising. The, the bigger dividends I get in energy and, and, and enthusiasm and overall productivity. And to address the idea of no matter how busy you are, you know, I was thinking about this from the concept of, you know, that time period in my life, let's say the year ago when I was stressing out and overworking, 
uh, the reason why I got myself in that position was because I said yes to all those things. Like I had initially opted into a ton of things, all of which were optional. And so once I realized that you know, in the book, I have this concept I call nonsense. And I realized that's what I had let myself kind of opt into was a bunch of nonsense or things that never actually had to happen. And I feel like that's what a lot of us find ourselves in is that we have a lot of these have tos in our mind. All, you know, our time is already filled up with things that must get done. When in reality, a large portion of that are things that could never happen and to be fine or they could be postponed for a very long time. And you'd also be fine. And that's the trade-off that initially has to happen uh, to, let's say, make time for working out today. If you can free up that time by letting go of things that could actually wait or never happen at all, it's not hard at all to find the time you need to take care of yourself. And then over time, your priorities become even more clear because working out and being healthy is an addictive thing. You want to keep that going and continue to see those benefits show up again and again and continue the process of cutting things that never have to happen. And that's how you ultimately achieve the balance and, and making sure you always have the time for the things that matter to you is there has to be a clear line in the sand between the few things that really move your life forward and then everything else is just noise. And once the noise is removed, it's incredible just how simple a day can be scheduled and how, how easy it is to just do a few things. And, and that's the goal that I'm striving for. That's the one that really does address this like busyness epidemic is that we're all doing a bunch of stuff that never has to happen. And once those things are removed, it is just so much easier from there uh, to move forward on all things you love to do. Right. So you got to cut out the business and then you need to actually, I think, I think also you need to address the, the, the stuff that's going on in our head that, that makes us so uh, addicted to it, right? This idea that we have to always be busy. So not just cutting out the nonsense, but, but being okay with the fact that now the nonsense is cut out and being okay with not just doing busyness for busyness's sake now. So I think it is brilliant work you've done. I think you are a master of this stuff, Jeff. Uh, I am very proud to have written a blurb for the pre-time formula and own a copy. Um, for anyone who's interested, it's, it is, I know we've talked a lot about productivity here, but, uh, you know, Dean Carnassus is another guy who's on the back cover who wrote a blurb, which I think is a great example that this is not all just work stuff, right? I mean, cause no one thinks of him as a, as a work guy. We think of him as the ultra marathon man. Um, of course there is that stuff. John Lee Dumas wrote a blurb, Pamela Wilson, uh, Noah Kagan. I mean, you know, it's, it's, so it's, it's a nice bridge between this, this athletic and this fitness and health world that, uh, I kind of live in and this productivity world that I think of all those other people living in. Um, so I love the book, love what you've done, love your work in general, Jeff, and, uh, really appreciate you joining us for people who want to get a copy. And I highly, highly recommend that you do, uh, what is the best way to get the free time formula, Jeff? freetimeformulabook.com is the best place to go to learn more about it or of course Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere else the book is there as well. Cool. All right, Jeff, great to have you back. Um look forward to having you on any other time you'd like to come on and uh congratulations on the book. Congratulations on the new baby, the upcoming baby, I should say. Forthcoming baby. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah, good luck with everything and uh, always great to talk to you. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. All right. Bye.